Hey there, this is Jay from Filmstrip dropping in to let you know you're about to hear a classic episode from our archives. Some of these shows were produced before we called the show Filmstrip Podcast, before we used popcorn ratings, uh, had the standard intro song from Frozen Lake 121, or really even knew what we were doing recording and editing the show. However, there's a lot of fun in them, and we hope you enjoy. Just wanted to let you know in case you noticed the differences. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Continuous Play's Batman series, featuring Jay Newcastle and Anna McCoy. You weigh a little more than 108. Oh, real? Let's go. In these spoiler-filled episodes, we will discuss the plots, dissect the themes, and offer our recommendations for your viewing. Continuous Play and Continuous Play podcasts are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. Any discussion of the characters, plots, or music from the films is strictly for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. Welcome into Continuous Play's Batman series, our third chapter in the series. Tonight's feature, Batman Forever. I'm Jay. And I'm Anna. We're glad you've joined us again. Anna, this is the 1995 follow-up to Batman Returns, and this time we get some new people, a new director on board, replacing Tim Burton as Joel Schumacher, and this film stars Val Kilmer as Batman alongside Tommy Lee Jones, Nicole Kidman, Chris O'Donnell, and Jim Carrey. It was made for $100 million, made $336 million worldwide in 1995. That's a lot of money. They spent a lot on this thing and it returned you know you get a three to one return i think everybody would take that at this point last film made you know 226 million off of 80 million but it wasn't considered a as much a success as warner brothers wanted so they made some moves around they moved tim burton into a producer spot they brought in joel schumacher who a different kind of film than Tim Burton. I'm sure we'll get into that as we go through the night. He, he's known for making some of the Brat Pack films of the 80s. And Val Kilmer's a different Batman, too. Before we get too deep into this thing, Anna, though, let's go with a quick plot summary of this. I mean, this one's pretty simple, folks. Batman this time has got to face two villains. Two-Face, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who is also Harvey Dent, the former district attorney of Gotham, who was scarred and an attacked by the mob. He's now got a split personality and literally a split face. Half of his face is grotesque. Half of his clothes are also grotesque for some fashion reason, and the other half is somewhat normal. But he's insane and bent on trying to kill Batman. And the Riddler, also known as Edward Nigma, played by Jim Carrey, a scientist that works for Wayne Enterprises. He develops this machine that'll beam TV straight into your brain and make the experience almost 3D-like. So in other words, he's the you know 1995 version of Jim Cameron. Bruce Wayne rejects that idea because he doesn't like messing with brainwaves. Nigma discovers that not only does the technology work, but he also can siphon information from people that way he becomes an evil genius builds this multi-million dollar company seemingly overnight and is obsessed with taking out bruce wayne only late in the film does he learn that he and batman are one and the same batman also picks up uh, an interesting love interest criminal psychiatrist chase meridian played by nicole kidman who's there to offer advice to him and the police department on how to deal with two-face and to also hit on bruce wayne and batman at every possible occasion and another sidekick dick grayson an orphan uh, young man who's from a family 
family of acrobats whose family is killed during an attack on the circus by Two-Face trying to draw Batman out. And uh, Dick Grayson, of course, helps save the day. Uh, Bruce Wayne is in attendance, but trying not to give up his identity. Two-Face kills uh, Dick Grayson's parents. Dick Grayson goes to live with Bruce Wayne. Of course, anybody that knows the Batman series and the comic books knows that Dick Grayson is the alter or is the human ego of Robin and what ultimately becomes Robin. Dick Grayson tries to prove himself to be able to fight alongside of uh, Bruce Wayne once he learns he's Batman. Bruce doesn't trust him at first, but then needs his help as um, they go try to take out Two-Face. Ultimately, uh, Two-Face and the Riddler join forces. They kidnap Chase Meridian and Dick Grayson, and the Riddler gives Batman the choice because he's learned he's Bruce Wayne at this time. Are you going to save the woman you love, Bruce, or are you going to save the partner you need, Batman? Of course, Batman being smart has uh, already thought ahead of this. He's got a super high-tech bat suit. He outsmarts the Riddler, destroys his brainwave machine, which kind of egg fries the, the Riddler's brain. He saves her his love interest and his friend. Confronted by Two-Face at the end, Batman, using some reverse psychology, appeals to the last remaining bit of humanity to Harvey Dent. You know, he flips this coin to see what he's going to do all the time. He gets him to do it, throws a bunch of coins in the air. Two-Face, trying to grab all the coins, falls to his untimely death on a rock quarry below, and Batman, Chase, and the newly dawned Robin go off together. The Riddler goes to Arkham Asylum, where he is... Uh, committed for being insane, and he thinks he's Batman. And that's pretty much the story of Batman Forever in a nutshell. You can comment on everything, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, and and we will. We'll get to all the, all the details here as we go. First thing, let, let's talk about Anna, though. We get a new Batman and a new director. And generally, when you get new directors in series... It takes a few, a little bit to to get the feel for the difference. Not in this film. It is immediately a different movie than what we've seen from the opening sequence, which has Batman in this bank hostage situation, which really is just a setup so Two-Face can throw him in a vault of acid and some of his goons can can shoot at him. It's, I mean, it's a completely different looking Gotham. It's a different looking film. We got Batman in a suit and we got Police Commissioner Gordon and we got the symbol and we got a wacky bad guy. This one hits the gas from the get-go and I'll tell you, I felt like from the beginning this was a a different film. It looked different and it felt different. Tim Burton's art direction was dark and com- comic booky. Maybe this is just campy and cartoony from the get go. The color it's dark but with bright colors and it's just borders on cartoony. And there's a very big difference between dark and comic book like and cartoony and campy. It's a different interpretation of a, of the comic book series. Burton's vision of the comic book was dark and mm-hmm. and a bit depressing. I think we could both go back and agree. Oh yeah. Ba- Batman Returns is a depressing film. This is let's take everything about comic books that makes them comic books, which is the bright colors and the the witty puns and the action and everything about cartoons that makes that medium work and plug it into this formula that we already know. Let's remove the the heavy dark stuff at least at the beginning i don't think schumacher totally abandoned that we'll get to some of that we'll talk about some of that as we go but yeah from the beginning this is a it's a campy feel to it the villains are different you know we we've seen we introduced henchmen early on in this series all the henchmen for the joker were just the mob guys wearing purple suits but they were still dudes you know mm-hmm. I talked about the circus freaks and the red triangle gang or whatever that was that the penguin had living underground with him, his henchmen that were never explained. You never knew what they were. Well, now we really get some weird people. Two faces henchmen are 
they're all these muscle bound dudes wearing like the cheap Mr. Wrestler number three masks, and they all got you know they all got the nose rings and lip rings and eyebrow rings, and they all got machine guns with neon lights on the clip belt, which. Again, I, I don't know where we're going. It looks different. You're right. It's definitely a more campy send-up. The action still works about the same. Val Kilmer or, or his stunt double, whichever one it was, comes in doing the same basic karate moves Batman does, but it's a it's like a big stunt sequence right, right out of the gate where the other two films started with these kind of dark, macabre scenes. That was something I noticed, too, and I've noticed in the, the Schumacher Batmans, there's not a lot of character buildup on the villains. Whereas in the very first Batman, we have the whole Jack Napier becomes the Joker scene, which comes to about almost a quarter of the movie of him becoming this Joker type um, dude. And this is, it's just kind of a two, I mean, we're at the very first action scene and two faces there flipping his coins, trying to get Batman and we don't realize till a scene or two later when they're showing footage from the news and stuff that that Two-Face thinks Batman's the reason he's got two faces. Watching that, I really didn't get that till I, I read the plot summary on something that there's no there's no real characterization in these for the, anybody. Well, the, there's not for Two-Face for sure. They expect you're coming in to know who he is. If you've, if you've seen the, the cartoons or you've read any of the comic books and stuff, you know what his story is. And then they, they do kind of drop it by you real quick that he's the district attorney. And what was Batman doing at the trial in the bat suit? I don't know, but he can't leap over in time to get the poison pen out of the way that scars the guy. And he develops a split personality. Now that is the convenient plot device to bring in, Nicole Kimmons' character, Chase Meridian. And I want to say this from the start. She describes this character as a criminal psychologist who dresses like Jessica Rabbit. And I, I thought that was a pretty good assessment of, of what she was bringing to the table there. And throughout this whole movie, she was honestly the only character I liked. Really? Like she was the only one you really connected with? She was the only one I really connected with because she was, she seemed very, she was smart. She was strong. She was strong-willed because she kept, I mean, she was kind of slutty chasing after Batman. But, I mean, other than that, she was a girl who knew what she wanted and she went after it. And you can't <laughs> fault her for that. So <laughs> No, we did, we, we did not fault the Sex in the City ladies for that. So we can't fault Chase Meridian for this. Because she, other- she could be one of their friends. Seriously. She could. She, I mean, she does her kickboxing in her office. Yeah. You know? She she could she could drop right into Sex in the City, you know, yeah. Gotham in the city. <laughs> well, you know, we'll, well, let's get to Gotham in a second. That's a good point. I I want to say this though. I, I I'm okay with the fact that they don't give us much on Two Face's background, mm-hmm. and that they only fill us in in pieces because. Once again, in these films, it's not the lead villain that you're paying attention to. We did this in Batman Returns, too. It's the second villain, or the, the supposed to be second villain. And and this one, that's Jim Carrey as the Riddler. And I want to say, you, know, you, you like Nicole Kidman, of all the things in this film, when I saw it in 95 and the times I've seen it since and watching it for this, this podcast, I still like Jim Carrey's over-the-top, ace ventura like performance it's oh god it's funny it's funny to me i like the guy because 
You talk about someone that knows what he brings to the table and just does his thing, especially in 95. Jim Carrey, you know, had gone from being homeless a few years before, basically, to now he was a big star. He wasn't changing the formula for nobody. And he, he came in, did his thing, and I don't think he knew what movie he was in, but it didn't matter because it, it kind of worked. He's just funny. But they also build in some real they, – they do build you up. They give you – of every character here, they give you a lot on him. They do, and I agree with that. I, I don't know if he's the best character in this movie. I, I found him kind of annoying, but the only only saving grace to this character is I was watching it at the point where he drops the his little riddle things. He drops one off at Wayne Manor. Yeah. And he's got that long hair. And I look, and I don't know why this thing, but I look at him and just the way he looked, I go, it's Johnny Depp. And then, because Johnny Depp's rumored to be the Riddler in the third Nolan Batman. Yeah. He's rumored. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I'm like, okay, now I can see Johnny Depp in that. But but that was the only good thing I got from his performance. I, I do think at this point in time in 1995, there was no one else who could play him i know they wanted robin williams but he was still kind of chafed because they didn't get him he they didn't hire him to play the joker in the first batman oh but um that's I his can, loss then too because I, he would have been interesting at this i don't think he would have been nearly as entertaining and plus he's around the same age as tommy lee jones which yeah. is it would have been truer to the tv series i guess and maybe the comic book portrayal of the riddler but i like the fact that the riddler's a younger guy and he's ambitious, and you know he only discovers that his evil plot is an evil plot by accident. It's when he's torturing his boss, he's made fun of him, that he realizes, I can read your mind. No, not only read it, I can steal your mind with this machine. So he becomes evil for revenge purposes. I'll tell you what I liked about this premise here, and, and I may be reading too much into this, and tell me if I am. I like the fact in the previous Batman film we had we had one villain okay we had the mob slash Joker who sort of took over the mob in Batman Returns we had Shrek Max Shrek and the Penguin and Shrek was a threat to Bruce Wayne and Batman at the same time the Penguin and Shrek really Shrek was never a threat to Batman and he was only an annoyance to Bruce Wayne this time we give Batman a villain Two Face and we give Bruce Wayne a villain in Edward Nigma, the Riddler. And I liked the way they set that up and played it. So now that it works well as they go through this part where Bruce has got to play. Um, he's got to try to figure out, can I be Batman? Can I be Bruce Wayne at the same time? And I think another good thing, going back to Nicole Kidman's character, Dr. Chase Meridian, having her as the psychologist with Two-Face kind of bled over into all the issues Bruce has with Batman and I think that was a good a that was a good love interest for this movie it kind of maybe moved more having that might have moved more things together having that as part of her character yeah might have moved the gelled the plot a little better so I I liked which goes back to I did I like that character a lot so I think that kind of gels the whole plot with the Edward and the Riddler and Two-Face and Harvey Dent and Batman and Bruce Wayne uh, and Robin. Well, this 
kind of gels. It makes it for a tight script is what it does. And I can't believe I'm saying that about the third installment in a comic book movie franchise and, and what's considered to be one of the campiest send-ups ever. But it is a tight script. I mean, we're thrown into this story immediately. They're giving us information, and, and we're just having to go with it. This thing doesn't slow down until you're 15 minutes into it. And I, I liked that about it. I thought it was paced well. I thought it got us into everybody quickly. And you had to come into this film, though, with prior knowledge. I don't know that you had to have seen Batman Returns, but I think you need to have seen the first Batman they did, or else you're going to be lost real quick, because they don't tell you oh, who yeah. any of these side people are. What's the back law? Ain't none of that getting in here. That's been done. So I, I think you would at least have to have basic knowledge of the comic book or the whole Batman concept to go into this movie. I agree. Where, I, Whereas you didn't really have to have that with the Tim Burton movies, the first Tim Burton movie, but you really need it with this one. I agree, and I think that's, that was Schumacher's point. He said before he wanted to bring the comic book to life and make a action film that also served almost like a cartoon. So he wanted to straddle a fence with this one, and he does. All right. He also makes some interesting choices, and uh, we can get into that. we got to talk about Dick Grayson, too, though, who ultimately becomes Robin. That's Chris O'Donnell's character in this. The mm-hmm. origin here, very true to the comic book. His family's killed when Two-Face attacks the circus. I like the fact that Two-Face would do all these things and would stage all this crime to draw Batman out. You do? I do. I thought it was cool. I mean, it's if you're going to have an evil plot and you want to get at somebody, you would do things to try to get their attention. So he went about going and getting Batman's attention. How are you going to get Batman's attention? You put, so he went about it a logical way is what you're no, saying. For him, yes, it makes sense. Because remember, he's, he's split. Half of this, we should just drop this and do crime. Or you know whatever, or be or sulk. The other half, you know, the two faced side says, uh, "No, we got to draw Batman out. So let's put people in danger. What brings the bat out?" He says it straight up. Nothing like a little robbery to bring out the bat. He's trying to draw him out. I like that. I thought it was a it was a good way to take a silly character because Tommy Lee Jones plays him so goofy, and it it's a great way to bring him back. I can see that, but it's. It, and it goes back to not having a lot of characterization in the characters and having a tight plot that, and then I guess I'm on the fence too now because this is a better plot. This is a better plot than Batman Returns, which is why I think it did so much better. You know, it was kind of reboot. If you think about it, it kind of rebooted the franchise and yeah. This is more like a reboot than really a sequel. And not as much characterization as there is in Batman and Batman Returns. So it's it's just kind of like we're there and he's drawing he's kidnapping these people to get to Batman and we really don't know why. And I think that's what frustrates me. And I, like I said, I didn't get that. I didn't know that he was upset with Batman. Because he blamed Batman for the dude pouring acid on him in the courtroom. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's not like Superman, you take off the glasses. This is a bat suit, for crying out loud. You know, you can't get in it real fast. So, yeah. anyway, I'm... It's it's just kind of convoluted to me. Uh, it is, and and I will say this: they could have given us another minute or two on Two Face's origin to flesh that out better. I know more of that honestly because I've seen this film a lot. I've, I've actually, I'll say now, I've seen this one more than any of them in the series. In the in the four, the first four of them 
the, the first four films. I've seen this one more than any of them um, because I, I took to it when I saw it um, in 1995, and I've, I've always just kind of liked this one, even though certainly my opinion on it has, has altered as I've grown up and got a little older. But I always felt like they could have given us a little more on him. But again, the real story here is about, it's really about Bruce Wayne trying to balance out, can I actually be Batman and Bruce Wayne and trust people, enough people with that secret that will protect me? You know, he trusts Alfred. He comes to trust Dick Grayson. I guess he's sort of forced into trusting Chase Meridian at some point because she she learns that he's Batman while he's standing in front of her, about to rescue her as Batman. So it's it's a little convoluted, but it keeps moving. I, unlike Batman Returns, which was convoluted and slow, this one's at least convoluted and going somewhere. You know, that's true. It has. I agree with you. It has a better pace. And there's also the real focus on the criminals here isn't on Two-Face. It's on, it's on the Riddler. Jim Carrey gets a lot more screen time. And I don't know if it's if that was a directorial choice. I've heard that he and Tommy Lee Jones didn't really work well together. Joel Schumacher said Tommy Lee Jones didn't know how to deal with a guy like Jim Carrey, which I've heard more than one person say he's hard to act next to because you don't know what he's going to do. It's hard to work with. Tommy Lee Jones is a very good actor, and I thought if they wanted to make Two-Face a dark, dark character, he could have done that too. He also played the send-up, and I think he did a lot of what he did in response to the way Carrey played Riddler. I'm just assuming that. I know, and I was going to say this in regards to Tommy Lee Jones working with Jim Carrey. Tommy Lee Jones, who went to Harvard, who roomed with Al Gore, so I'm assuming he's got some quote-unquote classical training. And we've got Jim Carrey, who four years ago was almost homeless. So, I mean, it's it's no wonder they might not have gotten along. And then also, like you said, I can imagine Jim Carrey's style is very improvisational. I can't imagine anybody scripting that. Yeah, I, I have a feeling they, they wrote in scenes, especially the one where the Riddler attacks the Batcave, and they just said, <laughs> just go in there, and we've got one shot with all these effects, so... you know, have fun with it, go to this, 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 and this. And he just did it. And then they pieced it together. I, mean, I really can't believe that too, because he tends to work that way anyway. I did, I did like the whole trick with the cane thing. And if you watch the special features in the DVD, he talks about having to learn how to do the cane and how many canes he broke and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of funny to hear. But it's, it's definitely a different group. Now throw into that mix Val Kilmer, who also has a reputation for being a rather difficult person to work with. This may have been a bit of a tense set. Uh, Nicole Kidman has had never had anything but good things to say about him. Chris O'Donnell liked him. Uh, never really heard Jim Carrey or Tommy Lee Jones comment much on him. Schumacher and him not going to be sending each other Christmas cards. All right. Uh, Schumacher said he would never work with him again after this. And really started a lot of the heavy rumors about how difficult he could be. The thing is, you know, Val Kilmer's a method actor, and he he doesn't break character a lot. He really gets stubborn about what he wants to do. And I did feel at times he was a little stiff in this. I agree. That was one of the notes I wrote down while watching this, is that where Michael Keaton kind of, when he played Bruce Wayne, was you could get the eccentric billionaire vibe from him. And if you watch Nolan's take on it, Christian Bale even does a very good millionaire playboy type thing with Bruce Wayne. And they both didn't take, Val Kilmer took the Bruce Wayne character way too seriously. Michael Keaton and Christian Bale do not play Bruce Wayne as seriously as Val Kilmer did. 
Yeah, that, he definitely plays him with a much more serious side, almost too serious for the material. Now, and it's, I, it's, I thought it got more the other way. He played Batman more jokey and Bruce Wayne more serious, whereas in the other movies, it's vice versa. Bruce Wayne is more jokey and kind of flighty and spacey, and Batman is more... Well, it's very serious. It, it is a reversal, and I'm glad you picked up on that because I saw it too. My thought of that was the the whole characterization of Bruce Wayne is this, is that he is torn by this duality in his identity. And everybody here has got a, another identity pretty much, except for the doctor, who's in it for love and, and apparently psychiatry, criminal psychiatry. You know, she's the only one piece, you know, one note uh, character. Everybody else has got two sides. He's planted that, and, and I thought it might have been a choice by Val Kilmer and this may be where they all differed, was that when he put on the bat suit, that was his way to hide. And so he could be a little more free. When he was Bruce Wayne, he had to be more serious. And it is a flip in the way we've seen it played. And I don't know that it always worked either. I'll say this, though. I was glad they gave us stuff with Bruce Wayne to actually do this time. What I said last time, the only time you see Michael Keaton is Bruce Wayne in Batman Returns is when he's turning toward the bat signal like the dramatic gopher, as if to say, oh, it's time for me to put on the bat suit. He never does anything else much as Bruce Wayne except go shopping one time and have a meeting so at least they gave us some Bruce Wayne at work which was sort of neat too that now Bruce Wayne's not only a billionaire but he actually goes to the office every now and then granted he goes to the office to take a speed launch back to his home to turn into the Batman again but he at least is at the office long enough to pick off uh, uh, Edward Nigma and, and basically create the, the Riddler by default and doesn't he have an assistant yeah, this, like a administrative assistant in this, so he yeah. has people who he who work with him or work for him. Yeah, he's he's got other underlings, and and you get a sense that he actually does get out of Wayne Manor every now and then for stuff that's not parties and circuses. He actually goes mm-hmm. to the office and does stuff, and I I liked that. I thought it was neat. What about Gotham in this one? I mean, Gotham got a facelift in this movie. It got a computer generated facelift. Before it was all matte paintings and sets now it's this big expansive computer generated city on top of a city it almost looks like well from the technology standpoint i liked it but it was just too the dark with the bright neon i just wasn't feeling that it it is definitely a stylized Uh thing and it looks well it looks like a time period And, and i'll argue again i don't know what time period in alternate world this is supposed to be taking place in i can see this one more than like i said in the first one it's like why was bruce wayne even when i was 10 years old i picked up why was bruce wayne's parents dressed like it was the 1920s yeah and this is supposed to take place in the 80s i I, maybe because they didn't do a lot of backstory like they did in the first one but i can get this was 1995 i was feeling it was present day i wasn't as confused about the time period as i was on the other ones but then again they never come out and say this is present day this is 1970 this is 1950 or whatever well they still have got costumes and and props and automobiles especially that are from mixed time periods we got Mm -hmm. cars from the 50s and 60s and 40s chasing a batmobile from the 2020s and technology from now, like 2010, 
in, in a 1995 house and car and uh, yeah and we got music from the 90s we got a look from the 90s in some ways though i don't know the henchmen from two-face they could have been like bouncers at like a motley crew concert or something i don't know they all they got all these ripped dudes that, you know with neon machine guns it's a lot of mixed stuff i think what schumacher's going for there is the fact that comics tend to tend to do that too they change with the times and they just mix all the time period together and nobody cares in a film i don't think that works i think you do need some continuity it's one thing that this it's a distracting element in this at least enough that i noticed it again to write it down and go i right, we got to talk about timeline again because i don't know when this is did you like the way gotham looked in this versus the way we've seen it in the two tim burton films yes and no i'll straddle the fence on this one too tim the if you go back to like you said and gotham is metropolis at night or gotham is the lower part of new york at night then the tim burton films work better that's what i expect to see i i, I expect gotham to be very dark and not light and airy like something on the upper west side but I expect it to be dark and gritty and grungy. So I, I liked Burton's take a little bit better because that's what I expect of Gotham. And maybe it's because Burton's was the first one I ever saw in my first introduction to Batman. Yeah. So that's what I would expect it to be. Gotham is a darker place, but in this dark place where these dark characters live, Joel Schumacher has now introduced all this color. And some of it works, some of it doesn't. He's also introduced color as a metaphor, too, with these real colorful characters and, and stuff. The color is just accents. Yeah, it's it's ne- like dark, 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 and these bright neon colored accents. That's but, how he introduces color to me. But it's also very true to the cartoon and comic roots. You know, the Riddler dresses the way Jim Carrey dresses early in the film as the Riddler, not in the end when he's wearing all the spandex and the funky hair and all that stuff. That's yeah. a new take. But, you know, the, the little top hat, the little bowler hat and the green with the black question marks and all that stuff, that's the, the Riddler from the TV show. As a matter of fact, Jim Carrey's even got a little a bobblehead doll of that character, which I thought was funny, um, on on his uh, his work station at work. So they, they pay a little to it two-face looks like if tommy lee jones was dressed up like the way two-face is supposed to look he's he was generally a little younger and better looking but not nothing against tommy lee jones but anyway you know the sun was hard on him uh, at one point but he looks a little different but he looks pretty much like he's supposed to in a comic what do you think though about their tag team because i i want to tell you i thought that the first you know 20 minutes of this film focuses on two-face and he's after batman and two-face creates another adversary in dick grayson now and then there's that side story and then we get into the edward enigma stuff and i felt like we just took a right turn and we we lose two-face for like 30 or 40 minutes of this film there's a couple scenes where he pops in and he has an attack on Batman and that's when Dick Grayson comes in and, and rescues him, proving he's he's a worthy partner. But for the most part, you don't see a lot of Two-Face again until the end. The focus really shifts on the Riddler and I, I gotta tell you, I liked it, but I kept wondering, are we ever going to get back to Two-Face? But the way the plot goes, I can't really see it going any other way. I can't see how it would be better. They are, And this Maybe goes back to the characterization again, but they characterized Two-Face, I guess you could say in 20 minutes, because like you say, him drawing Batman out and stuff, and we know why he is, is because of he blames Batman for his accident. But we have to go in and characterize the Riddler, and 
that's going to take like another 20 minutes. So maybe it's because of these two separate entities as villains versus and Batman Returns, Catwoman and the Penguin were kind of connected by Matt Shrek. Yeah. And, and it kind of flowed a little better because they were kind of connected by him and it didn't take as long to characterize them because the seems I see what you're saying. It seems like that we're kind of watching two different movies we're, or we're watching two different TV shows. It's like it's the Two-Face show and then 7.30 hits and it's the Riddler show. Yeah, exactly. And and they play on something that they set up in Batman Returns, and that was the idea that the secondary villain, which is Catwoman in that movie, it's the Riddler in this one, or the way it's portrayed, is going to help the primary villain in their quest for Batman. You know, she goes to Penguin, and he comes upstairs and sees her there, and they have that really awkward conversation uh, in, in Batman Returns. In this one, the Riddler goes to Two-Face's lair and meets his you know dual personality and kind of roll, roll, wins him over with his charm and all this stuff. And he, he starts talking to him about, I'm going to help you get the Batman, even though at this point he doesn't know who that is. Now, I, I did like how they... Again, they, they have the human villain for Bruce Wayne in Edward Nigma, who's, I mean, what, what a startup company. He got that thing out of the lab and running in no time and was a worldwide success, or at least a Gotham success. He's having this big party showing people how his brain you know thing works. And he, just for a few minutes, gets Bruce Wayne in there and takes a snapshot of his brain. And we've already set up that Bruce is having these recurring nightmares about falling in the bat cave and, and the origin story again, how he became decided to use the bat as the, the symbol that would strike fear into the, the criminals in town and all that stuff. He's having nightmares about his parents murder and getting over that. And he's talking with Alfred about it. He talks with Chase Meridian about it. He talks, he talks with himself about it. Batman's talking to everybody or Bruce Wayne's talking to everybody about this, but Enigma captures that and he watches it later and he goes, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. My nemesis is also, Batman, who's Two Face's nemesis, I can get two with one stone. I did like how they how they revealed that and worked it together. Sure, it's it's convenient plot stuff, but I I did like the way that all played together. It goes back to what you were saying. This is whatever you think of this movie. This is a nice tight plot. It doesn't drag on like you said. Batman Returns, and you're constantly looking to see is this over yet? Is this over yet? It flows very good, but that being said, Caddyshack did float very good, had a yeah. better plot. Yeah. So, I mean, th I, that's one good thing about this movie. Um, the other thing, since we're talking about Edward Nigma, we have got to mention his man crush on Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty uh pretty heavy there, isn't it? He he wants to be Bruce Wayne in so many ways. He goes to the point of he's he's dressing like him at the big party. He even puts uh, like a mole on like him. Yeah, make sure his mole's in the right place or something. Yeah, and it's it's so. I, I want to tell you, if anybody else had been playing the character, it would have come off kind of and weird. Jim Carrey doing it, it's funny. It's just hilarious because you can tell he's like going, see, see, I'm just like him. See, I'm just like him. Even that point where he grabs, you know, Chase Meridian and Nicole Kidman and he wants to dance with her. There's three or four shots where you can see her just cracking up, you know, because she has <laughs> she cannot hold it together in front of the guy. And I'm kind of glad Schumacher left that in there because it shows just how funny this not only Jim Carrey is, but it shows how funny Edward Nigma is and how he so wants to be Bruce Wayne. But he's never going to be Bruce Wayne. And that that is and and the way Val Kilmer blows him off is so 
it's the one acting thing he did right in this as Bruce Wayne. It was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, he he just gives the guy nothing. He doesn't really blow him off and like be mean to him, but he doesn't give him anything either. It's like, it's like if you ever meet someone who's famous and you want to talk to him about something that made him famous that you're really into and they kind of go, yes, it was a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. I mean, they don't give you anything. That's exactly what I felt like was happening here. Edward Nigma meets his idol. He, he pitches an idea to his idol. His idol shoots it down. He, he, um, then goes out and starts on his own. He rivals his idol, his um, idol in some way. He says, hi, see, and the idol goes, yeah, yeah. You know, and he's still not impressed by it. And it drives him nuts. I, I like that. It was, uh, it was a cool way to play that. It, but, and I also half expected, like, and he might have said this and I just forgot. It, when he was talking about the hiring slip that had Bruce Wayne's name on it and he still has it, it's almost like you expect him to be like a 15-year-old girl who just met Justin Bieber and be like, I'm never <laughs> washing the pan again. Exactly. You, know, you almost expect him to do that. And one thing to Jim Carrey's credit, he, from the moment he's on the screen, that persona of that man crush just kind of, he kind of takes it and runs with it. And he does do it in a not so creepy way. Like you said, if Tommy Lee Jones were doing that, you'd be like, Oh no. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. But Jim Carrey can pull it off in such a goofy manner that, you know, it just, it just works. It does. We got to talk about the action scenes in this, and a good way to get into this is the the final riddle Batman solves, and Batman and Robin are going to go and and take on Riddler in his enclave, and they're coming in by air and by sea, you know, because Batman's got all kinds of vehicles, even though his whole lair gets destroyed, uh, he's still got other ones. Because Bruce Wayne does have infinite resources. That I think that's again we're just reminding people, <laughs> this guy's got another one. Don't worry about it. And it's Batman. I mean, you know, he's not going to not have a backup. So anyway. They're going into this action, and I want to tell you, I thought, you know, anytime we've seen Batman ride into action, the first time it was really cool. We got the bat plane, and we, you know, pick up the balloons, and we're in the front of the moon, and then we have the bad shooting we, we talked about in the first podcast. And then the second one, Batman just kind of rides in on the bat sub and blows up the whole underground. It's not really that exciting. This one, I felt like, I didn't know where they were going to go with it. And then they went cheese with it. You got the Riddler and Two-Face sitting down at basically a live-action version of the board game Battleship. And they're they're picking off where the uh, the mines are that they've got laid out there, and they're blowing them up, trying to blow up the plane. They're trying to blow up the the bat uh, uh, boat, you know, which is what Robin's in. I how did you read that? I mean, how did you like that scene? I basically thought it was. I guess it was forgettable. I mean, it's nothing. It's nothing to write home about, and it kind of I think kind of like you said, it's cheesy. And it kind of brings the movie down. Like, the movie has so many good points added, like the plot. And, I, and I'll and i go back. We could go back to this, too. I actually like Val Kilmer as Batman. I thought he didn't do ha- uh, that bad of a job. And I like Chase Meridian. But, yeah, it's just kind of it's not a fitting into the movie is what I thought. Yeah, it's, it's really not. It, it does feel a little forced and and strange you know and mm-hmm. and uh, i think i said in the in the plot summary too and I, i'll correct this now uh and you know batman and robin go to rescue chase in the riddler's enclave and in in the process the bat boat's blown up 
and Two Face then captures him, and that's when we get the big you know final trap. I, I felt the same way you did, though. I liked Val Kilmer's performance as Batman. I I believed he was more likely to pull off the physical side of it than Michael Keaton. Yeah. Have. He, I mean, Val Kilmer's a big dude. He looks like he could kick your butt, you know, if you got in a fight with him. So I bought that he could be Batman in the suit. You, I never once believed Mr. Mom was going to put on that suit and all of a sudden was going to beat me. You know, I just ain't going to happen. He might beat up old Jack Nicholson he ain't gonna, and, and fat Danny DeVito. He ain't going to beat up Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones, who were in shape. You know, yeah. and, and so and you know Tommy Lee Jones. You said he went to Harvard earlier. We should mention he played football at Harvard. You know, the dude, dude's an athlete, all right, and, and carries a big, tall, wiry dude too. So, but but you believe that Val Kilmer can handle himself in a fight with those guys and with all those goons too. Also, I think it goes back to the technology of the bat bat suit. I think he has a different bat suit than Michael Keaton had. I think like they got a better material or something like. Well, Michael Keaton's like his bat suit was like made of steel or something. Well, they, well, they make it a plot point. You know, the Riddler blows up the bat suits uh-huh. and he gets the new super synthetic rubberized bat suit. All right, which is the one with all the sonar modifications. Uh-huh. Was, it, it is a different material. You can tell it's easier to move in. And wait, we're talking about you know six to seven years of makeup and wardrobe development. Yeah, they probably did come up with something easier for him to move his head around in. When he turns around, there's a couple of times he turns his head in that thing. Now, he can't turn it real far, but it's yeah. not, he's not just shoulder turning like Michael Keaton was having to do in the last two. The, the limits yeah. of the suit and, are not as bad. And I even noticed at the beginning before he gets the super-duper new suit that his movements are more fluid. Granted, it's not like Spider-Man or something. No. But, I mean, it, it's more fluid than in 1989 or 1992. And also, I believe I read way back when this movie first came out that Val Kilmer was doing his stunts or action sequences in the Batsuit. I think he lost like 10 pounds in one day or something. Yeah. Some obscene amount of weight in one day. Yeah, it weighs like like 40 pounds. He talks about mm-hmm. the, the 40 pounds of rubber that he had on. I could see him doing it too. Again, he's a big physical guy. He He's someone that can handle that load. I think I read that too, that he did a lot of his stunts. I, I like that though because it allows him to not have to go to these wide shots of the Batman in the suit and then the close-up of the face and then back out. For the most part, we get pretty decent two and three shots of, of Batman doing his work. I like that. This action sequence it kind of took me out of it. I'll tell you honestly, most of the action sequences in this film will take you out of it. They're campy, they're cheesy, they're way over the top. But again, it's playing to a different audience. We're trying to take the darkness and and give it a little light and give it a lighter touch, too. That Schumacher's goal is to do that, to appeal to a broader audience. And so they get into this final confrontation. Batman and the Riddler are facing off, and the Riddler hits him with the can you be both of these things at once? And I loved how... They let Jim Carrey have four or five minutes there to just tell him, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I think I can beat you is you can't exist as this person that's got this real freaky side to you and this this rich billionaire person. I think I can beat you at your own game by making you choose which one. And Bruce mm-hmm. outsmarts him again with the, not only the technology he's got, all that stuff, but the idea that I, I'm doing both not because I have to, but because I choose to. And that's an important character moment for Batman because that I never got the sense growing up watching Batman that he had a lot of angst about being Batman. Now clearly, you read the comic books, he does. Uh, if, if you watch these films it's set up that Batman's kind of upset about having to be Batman you know and 
they introduce that and resolve it really well here. I, I liked the way they brought it around. And I'll tell you this. We talked about Val Kilmer flipped the the role. He's more fun as Batman than he is as Bruce Wayne. I think mm-hmm. that allowed him to deliver that last line with that look on his face like, I'm not ticked off about this. He's smiling about it. He's happy about it. He's come to some resolve about all of this in his life. And he, he's also bringing more people into the inner circle, this psychiatrist and Dick Grayson and stuff like that. He's learning to trust others to help him complete his mission. And with that, this this reboot or series should have ended. Everything has been, like you said, everything has been resolved. Batman is at peace with being Bruce Wayne and Batman. He's getting his psychoses in order. He's with a woman who's smart, sophisticated, and intelligent. Doesn't, Vicki Bell, I think, was smart, but she screamed all the time. (laughs) And, you know, and I mean, I, I, I just couldn't get in. I think she did a good job, but I just couldn't get into Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. And, but, well, and she, she had, she had a, a mo- you know, those two women had different motives. Vicki Vale was after the story. Right. Uh, ultimately. And she, then she got it and she cared about him, but it, that didn't work because she couldn't resolve the danger he was putting himself in. Why would you do that? You know, he kind of alluded yeah. to that in Batman Returns. Catwoman knows she can, you know, Selena knows I can never be with this guy because when I've got my revenge on Max Shrek, now what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? You know, I, I can't, if, what if something else triggers me? I can't be with this guy. I'm too dangerous. So she bails, you know, this is a woman who doesn't have any problems. You know, you described her great. She's smart. She's sophisticated. She knows what she wants. And by George, she's going to go get it. And you know what? To her credit, Bruce Wayne is chasing her pretty hard. She invites Batman over to the, to, you know, meet her for a nightcap on the, the, the lanai after midnight. They kiss and she says, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I, I'm, I've got somebody else. And of course he turns around and just grins. And I thought that was a great moment. He was like, oh yeah, I got her now. You know, <laughs> I liked that about her. Yeah. She, she worked in that, in that way. So yeah, he's got a woman in his life that'll get what he's all about he's now got a partner in dick grayson mm-hmm. yeah I, I i'm with he you he has opened up the circle of trust yes he has opened up the circle and it's about as big as it ever needs to get and i agree with your point that it should have ended there i i think they could have done one more film done it well and kept this circle going as we know they don't we'll get into that one later on so jay what is your recommendation for this movie batman forever you know what? I'm going to say this is an occasional play, and he, here's why. It's it's not a continuous play, all right? It's not a perfect movie by any means. It's got some real flaws, all right? But it gets so many things right that Batman Returns got wrong, all right? And then I even feel, in some ways, Batman maybe maybe could have done better. I, I like this film. It's fun. It doesn't ask a lot of you to keep up. You need to pay attention on a few parts, but for the most part, you just get in, and it's a big ride, but it's not a stupid ride. There's a neat story here. There's there's a neat character arc, even if it's a short one that's not great character development. There's neat villains, too. Two-Face is a neat villain. He's turned into a villain because of the criminals he's prosecuting, and he feels like Batman didn't protect him. So he's a villain who's wronged, but goes insane. So you know he's just a bad dude. Nigma is a guy that's obsessed with a goal and can't let it go. And ultimately, it goes to his head, literally, and he becomes out of control. But you like him. You, I mean, you don't really like the Riddler. You don't like what he's doing. But he's not 
killing anybody. You know, he's trying to take out Batman because it takes out his other nemesis, Bruce Wayne. You like Chase Meridian because she's confident, she's fun, and Nicole Kidman knows how to play characters when she's handed them. And she was handed a pretty pretty simple character here and, and brought some life to it. Chris O'Donnell, who by in no means is a great actor, okay, did a lot of cool stuff with Dick Grayson. I mean, he's pretty angsty and stuff, but you would be too if you watched your whole family get murdered in front of you. And, and he could have played that even more so. And I like the fact that he showed himself as someone who was hurt, but also was willing to let people in and wanted to be a part of something, wanted to be a part of a team, you know? And Val Kilmer plays Bruce Wayne in Batman very well. His Bruce Wayne stuff's a little wooden at times. Yeah, but his Batman is great. I like the physicality of it. The action's cheesy, but the sequences are cheesy, but the action's cool. It's a fun movie to watch. I think this is one you can go back to and pick up on. Yeah, this is an occasional play. Anna, what do you think about it? Well, I'm going to go with once play. Because, like you said, it first off, the dialogue is so cheesy, too. And I have to commend Nicole Kidman because she didn't have a lot. We, she didn't have a lot to work with, and she worked this character. And going back, I had a more appreciation for her than I did back in 1995. And it's just the dialogue is cheesy, but you're right. It gets some things right that Batman and Batman Returns got wrong. And for that, I think it should be a once play. All righty. Well, as we know, though, folks, this is not the end of the Batman series. we got three films to go, and we will break them all down for you in the coming weeks. We thank you for joining us on Continuous Play. Check out our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for our other series. Leave us a comment. We appreciate your feedback. For Anna, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to Continuous Play. Thank you for listening to Continuous Play's Batman series. Check out our website, www.continuousplaypodcast.com, for other entries in the series and other retrospectives. Continuous Play and Continuous Play Podcasts are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. Any discussion of the characters, plots, or music from the films is strictly for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. Thank you.